Easter, I'm just glad that uh, you came back, and uh, we invite you to join with us and meet here every every Sunday, get involved with a, a life group, and and I, uh, I just want to uh, share a little bit from what Melissa was saying. Not only do we love our life group, but the reason that we believe they're so important is that we need people around us. We were never designed to be Christians alone, and we need people that will help keep us accountable people that help us grow, people that give us different insights, and, and we learn things in groups that we don't learn by ourselves. And, and one of the reasons that that's so important is, as uh, we've been reading on Wednesday nights, uh, we invite you to Wednesday nights as well, but we've been talking about walking circumspectly in these days because the days are evil. And so it's, as the days get increasingly darker and things get more confusing, these are not the days that we should be walking alone. These are the days we need people around us to help watch out for us and say, hey, watch your step there. Not to, not to point out sin and not to critique our lives, but to say, ooh, be careful, I wouldn't step there if I was you. And we used a little illustration during a Wednesday night I want to share with you, and, and, and hopefully you won't get offended by this, but, you know, <clears throat> I went to pick up a missionary uh, a year and a half ago, and when I picked him up from the, the bus station or the train station down in Portland, uh, Got out, finally found him, came back and got in the car, and it was cold. Turned on the heater, and pretty soon I was like, what is that smell? And just me being me, just honest, I'm, those of you that know me, you know me. I thought to myself, well, he's been on a train for a week. He was coming from Baltimore. He's been on a train for a week. He stinks. And then we got out and got him all ready to go, and got back in the car, and it stunk. And I thought, no, wait a minute. And so as I got ready to get out of the car, the next time I looked down, and I had stepped in some mess. <laughs> but I thought it was funny that I instantly assumed it was him. And the analogy is this. When we were outside, walking on the street in Portland, I didn't smell anything. It wasn't until we got in the confined space of the car that we smell our own mess. This is the purpose of church. When you're out in the world full of mess, you may not see the mess you've stepped in, and you're tracking it all over. <laughs> but when we come in here, you can say, whoa, wait a minute, something stinks. And your good friends, those people in your life groups, those people that sit next to you every week goes, yeah, it's you. But here's the beauty. That doesn't mean you forsake coming to church because somebody pointed out your mess. That means you go wash off your shoes and you come back in. You just get rid of the mess. You're thankful that somebody pointed out the mess. And then you come back in and the smell's gone. And that's the purpose. But the problem for many of us today is we don't want anybody to point out our mess. We don't want anybody to tell us that there's mess. We just want either a super happy message that there's never anything wrong, or I just want to walk in my mess and not have anybody critique me. But that is not what church is about. It's not about pointing out people's sins. It's about friends telling us, hey, I think you stepped in some mess. It's like, hey, dude, your zipper's down. They're not doing it to embarrass you. <laughs> They're doing it to save you from embarrassment, right? That's the purpose of having this close-knit family, this group that we call church. Not just a building we come into, but a place that we come 
And we find ourselves in a situation where sometimes we're there to help other people wash the mess off, and other times they're there to help us wash our mess off. That's what church is about. But we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're not going to talk about mess this morning. We're going to talk about camping. Who likes camping? Okay, five of you. All right. In general terms, uh, usually men like camping more than women. Somehow it's got this robust, uh, mm, kind of, uh, you know, we get to not shower, we wear dirty clothes, we cook steak over the fire, we uh, carve wood with our knives, we uh, set up tents, and uh, especially around here you set up tents, and then you set up tents over your tent to keep the rain off your real tent. Um, But we're going to talk about camping with, with Jesus this morning. Um, three of his closest followers got to camp with Jesus, and, and for whatever reason, um, I find that most ladies don't like to camp. Uh, they don't like not being in the shower. They don't like going to bed dirty. They don't like going to bed cold. They don't like having all the, the mess of it. Um, and again, maybe some of you do, and I'm, not, I'm trying not to be specific this morning. We're just generalizing. Uh, but there's a big difference. When I learned how to camp when I was a kid, there was no camper. This was what we camped in. If you weren't setting up a tent, you weren't camping. Now, my wife, KOA, if there's not a shower and a hard structure and something where she can get up off the ground, then she's not interested. Uh, She doesn't want to go, doesn't want to live in the dirt. Uh, That's not a good time to her. And for whatever reason, guys, we're just uh, basically cavemen that we want to be dirty and smelly, and the more of that, the better. Um, But this isn't the same type of camping that Jesus and his followers did, and we'll be in Matthew chapter 17 here in just a minute, but um, one of my favorite camping stories that I heard, and, and I'm sure it's, it's probably true, but it's got lost in, in the, the lore of it, is that the city slicker couple, they were, they were newlyweds, and they decided they wanted to experience camping. And so they head out into uh, nature, as it was, and they weren't sure Uh, where they were going or what they really wanted to do other than experience the great outdoors. And so as they pull into the campground, they they saw a sign saying, caution, bears in the area. And and so they went and talked to the ranger, and and they said, you know, we want to do a lot of hiking. We want to go down and really experience all there is to experience. And he said, well, my first suggestion is that you guys go to the general store and get a couple of small bells that you put on your clothes or, or on your walking sticks that as you're walking and hiking that if you run across any small bears, the tinkling sound of the bells will ward them off. And they're like, okay, that, that's great. And he said, but uh, I just got to tell you that where you guys will be at, there are also some grizzly bears and you, you need to be careful for those. And they're like, well, how, how do we know that we're getting into grizzly country? How do, we, how do we know that? And he's like, well, you can tell by their droppings. They're different than the other bears. And they're like, well, by their droppings, how can you tell the difference? Well, the, the grizzly bear droppings are full of small bells. <laughs> so stay away from that area. But there's no grizzlies in this story this morning other than uh, some good news for us and also a little bit of instruction. So if you join me this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17. Jesus is, is taking three of his, his closest companions, and he decides they're going to go on a little camping trip. They're going to go up the mountain. And, and what he's really doing is he's, he's doing something in them that he wants us to do as well. You see, for most of our lives, it's a routine. 
we get up and we do what we do, we live with who we live with, we go to work, we, and it's all natural. The things that we're doing are natural. And again, there's, there's always a spiritual component to the natural that we do. But Jesus is trying to help them see that pretty soon, I won't be here for you to follow. And you're going to need something different. There's a transition that's about to take place. An amazing thing happens. They, they call it miraculous. They use this big word called the, the transfiguration, but it's also such a spiritual impact that Jesus is trying to put on because during this time, this very timing of this is, is when the Jews celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, according to the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time that was about the end of October. It was the end of harvest. And that's what Feast of Tabernacles was, that they would set up these, these uh, temporary portable shelters so that when they got out of the field, they could bring in all the harvest that they didn't have to keep traveling back and forth. And that transitioned into what it meant for them to get out of the wilderness and to be on that exodus. They were setting up temporary shelters along the way. This is still one of the approved feasts for those that are Orthodox Jews, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, as they may call it, the Feast of the Ingathering. And so as they bring in the harvest, as they bring in the, the fruit of their labors, they would rest in these booths, and the, the workers would go in, and they would rest in them, but they, again, remembering that they're just temporary. So this is what Jesus is doing at this exact moment. He says, six days later that Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and he led them up on a high mountain so that they could be alone. I think that's interesting that he said they, he wanted to get them alone. But as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So they're climbing the mountain, they get to this place, and, and maybe they're talking along the way, and all of a sudden, Jesus' appearance, his physical appearance, changes and they see him in a way they've never seen him before. I mean, most of the time they've seen Jesus' backside. They've been following him, walking behind him as he goes from place to place. But all of a sudden, he's transformed. And the word that the scholars use is transfigured. They, they get to see something of the future right before them. What they're really seeing is Jesus being glorified in their midst. It said that his face begins to shine like the sun and his clothes become as white as light. And, and if you wonder about this, you can read Revelation and it talks a lot about this type of looking or this type of appearance of Jesus. But notice what happens. He all of a sudden gets transformed. He, he starts to shimmer. He starts to turn white and bright. And verse 3 says, and then suddenly they weren't alone anymore. Moses and Elijah appeared. And look what they did. They didn't appear and say to Peter, James, and John, hey, what's up? Glad to be camping with you. That, that's not what they said. Peter, James, and John watch, and Moses and Elijah show up, and they ignore them, and they begin to talk to Jesus. Now, they could probably think that's a little bit rude. Hey, you brought us up here. You said you wanted to be alone with us, and now we've got two more people, and they're not even paying attention to us. All they're doing is talking to you. But Peter, James, and John, not being the brightest of the bunch, not being really well-schooled, they thought it was pretty cool because I don't know how they knew it was Moses, and I don't know how they knew it was Elijah, but can you, can you trust with me for just a minute that you can know things spiritually that you don't know naturally? You can know things spiritually that you don't know naturally. 
And somehow they just knew. Now look at what happened. Peter gets all excited. He's like, look, we're here. And Jesus is transformed, and there's Moses, and there's Elijah, and they're talking. We're having the best conference we've ever had. This is awesome. Look what he says. Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. And in my Bible, there's an exclamation point. He's excited. It's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Uh, this is awesome. Let's, let's ask them to stay. I'll make some tents for them. And they can just stay with us, and we can hang out in the presence of Moses and Elijah. This is incredible. But look at verse 5. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me joy. Listen to him. Okay? Now look at this. Jesus, transfigured, shining bright and white, Moses and Elijah. I mean, you've got the best Inner, the best church service you've ever had right there on the spot. And then God shows up. I mean, not the voice God, the presence God shows up. But notice what he says. He doesn't say anything about Moses and Elijah. He's like, this is my son. And what were his specific instructions? Listen to him or hear him. It's great that you're there. It's great that you're seeing what you're seeing. It's incredible to be in this presence. But this is my son. The focal point of what you need to get is my son. And I want you to listen to him. Log that away for just a little bit. What happens now? The disciples were what? All that joy and excitement, I think, got drained right out. They're probably ready to wet themselves when the voice of God comes from the cloud, right? They were terrified. Now, look at this. You know why? They didn't expect that, I think. And I think there's times when we get pulled into spiritual experiences and spiritual presence that we think it's about this thing, and then God says, oh, no. It's not about that at all. What you were wanting, what you were seeking, that's not what I'm after. If you're not after Jesus, you're missing the point. And I'm here to tell you, as somebody that's been in Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled services, sometimes all that is great, and sometimes it has nothing to do with Jesus. Sometimes it's all about, we're excited to be here. This is awesome. Let's keep this up forever. Great. The revival's going next week too. Woo! Let's go. Let's go. But is it about Jesus? Is it about seeking Him? Is it about listening to Him? Is it the experience is awesome and powerful and spiritual experiences should be experienced? We're going to talk about in the weeks to come. We need experiences of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, but not just to have the experience. They should point us to Jesus. They should point us to be changed in that presence, in that experience, not to just have goosebumps, not to just have a better service, but to experience Jesus 
and draw closer to him to learn something we didn't learn before. And it's hard for us to understand because we get caught up in the moment. And and I don't want to down anything or condemn anything. I'm just telling you, we need to open up our eyes that when, if we're going to pursue the presence of God, if we're going to pursue the fullness of the Holy Spirit, our focus should still be the same. How does this draw us closer to Jesus? And if it doesn't, what's the purpose? Because it feels good? because that's our tradition, because that's how we learned it. And, and again, maybe some of us learn different ways, but the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, should draw us into a deeper walk and a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And if it doesn't, maybe the experience was not well used. I've been in those experiences. I've seen people laid out on the floor. I've seen people do incredible things. I've seen the gifts and the movings of the Spirit. But I've also seen people that laid on the floor for hours and they got up and their life was the same or worse in the weeks that followed. And I asked myself, what was the point? You got a little nap. There was a spiritual experience, but your life did not change. You were still critical. You were still seeking an experience. Your walk has not gotten closer. It didn't deepen your prayer life. You don't have more faith. What was the purpose of that experience? And sometimes the purpose of the experience for us is just to have the experience. And I know there was even times in the church where people felt compelled to speak in tongues or to move in the Spirit so they wouldn't feel like they were on the outside looking in. And they weren't after the experience of Jesus. They were after experience so they could be part of the culture. And it left them wanting, and it left them dry, and it left them feeling insignificant or inferior. And that's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and that's not the plan of God. He wants all of us to feel connected and to have rich, deep relationships Now, I don't know why why Jesus pulled just three, but these are the three. These are the three that he pulled with him the most often to do something extraordinary. And I, I don't know if it's because they just were men of action or whether they're bold enough to believe or whether they just need the remedial teaching. I don't know. It could be all of it. But I want to tell you, we should seek to experience God. You see, God is not a doctrine. God is real. He is tangible. Jesus is not a doctrine, some cold, hard science. The Holy Spirit is not a doctrine of the New Testament that we just believe in the writing. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is God. He is a He, not an it. And we should experience him and the fullness of what he wants for us, but not just for the experience. It's there to change us. It's there to transition us. It's there to transform us. They saw Jesus being transformed, but really it was to help them get transformed as well. Now look at they're terrified. They fall down on the ground. <laughs> they just didn't know what to do. They just, they're like ostriches. Just bury your face. Maybe if we don't look, he won't kill us. And you've probably heard that joke too. You know, you're walking through the woods and you come across a bear. <laughs> and one guy stops to tie his shoes and the other guy starts running saying, you know, you can't outrun the bear. And he says, I don't need to outrun the bear. I just need to outrun you, right? 
I think that's what happened right here. These guys were, I mean, they're all giddy, man. This is awesome. Jesus is glowing. (laughs) Moses and Elijah show up. This is incredible. And then all of a sudden, the cloud comes in, and they're like, whoa, what is this? And then the voice of God speaks. And they didn't know what to do except for fall on their face and hope because you got to understand, these are guys that, have been, that know their history, that when you get in the presence of God and things go bad, people die. <laughs> it's not like today we're like, oh, the presence of God, this is going to be awesome, and we come without fear and reverence. The Old Testament people, the people that knew God, they knew you come into God's presence wrong and you're dead. They pull you out. No mercy. Now, it didn't sound like maybe the God you grew up with, but let's remember God doesn't change. He still wants people in His presence, but He calls us into His presence for a reason. Not to just give us good bumps and not to have just a good church service. He calls us into His presence to change us. This is what Jesus was trying to help them see. Now, look what happens. They fall down on their face, but look at what Jesus does. He comes over, and He says what? Get up. Don't be afraid. Why are you so scared? God just said, look at me, and then listen to me. Now let's see if they're going to do it. Get up and don't be afraid. And when they looked up, look what happened. Moses and Elijah were gone, and they only saw Jesus. Now, here's the part that's hard for us. They had an experience. They had a moment. Things were awesome. God spoke out of a cloud. Jesus was radiant. They saw Moses, the the prophet of the the law bringer, the deliverer, the the man of myth and legend of, of all their upbringing, of all the stories. They see Elijah, the prophet, who did incredible, amazing, crazy things. And then you see Jesus. And and it's funny that Jesus himself says that I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So understand that it's not about the law and it's not about the prophets. It's about me that have come to bring both to bear. Because most people do that. They, they don't want the funny stuff. They don't want all that weirdo spiritual stuff. It's just the Word, which is great. It reveals Jesus. But there's also some that it's all the woo mystical, ah, ooh, ah, and very little Word, and that's dangerous too. And Jesus says, you want to know how to have the best life that combines both of these? It's me. You listen to me. You follow me. I'm the fulfillment of the law. I'm the fulfillment of all the prophecies. You want to see miracles? I can do them, but I am the Word. And look what they did. This is crazy. They go back down the mountain. Now, we all know this. We, we, come, we come to a place we don't normally live, and we set up one of these things knowing that it's temporary, right? Now, people in the 1800s, they just called this living. (laughs) There was no camping. (laughs) They all lived outside. They all built fires. It was just called living. (laughs) But for us that live in cities and towns, we pack up our stuff. We take our temporary structures, and we go out and we camp, knowing That's the beauty of it, knowing it's only for a little while, right? 
Because we would probably go out differently if we said, we're going out to stay. What would you take if you had to stay for months versus you know you're going over the weekend? Some of you, I'm not going. Well, that's great. You're going to be disappointed when we get to heaven and we're living in tents. But I know you're saying, no, pastor, it's mansions. I got you. I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Now, look at his next comment. This is crazy. You had the experience. It's time to go down. We're done camping. Pack it all up. We're going back to life. But look what he says. Don't tell anybody what you saw. Don't tell anybody until what? Until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. That's a bummer, Jesus. We just had a great time. And now you're talking about death again. What's it, what is it with you? What's this morbid fascination with death? What's, why can't we just enjoy this moment? Because the moment is temporary. Those church services are temporary. Those spiritual experiences, they're temporary to get us prepared for something bigger, to help us understand the plan of Jesus Christ. And notice what he said. He didn't just say, don't tell anybody, ever. He had it specific. I don't want you to tell anybody what you saw until I'm raised from the dead. He's giving them information that they don't need for tomorrow. They, he doesn't die tomorrow. But it's a, like a lot of information that we get. I remember in my military training, we had survival training. And it wasn't to be used the next week. It was a period of time, and they're like, you need to store this up and keep it locked away. It's just in case. For that time. And that's the purpose of those spiritual experience and that spiritual teaching and that God moment is for you to log away what you heard, what you saw, what you experienced, not to stay there in camp. See, that's the problem. They wanted to stay there in camp. This is awesome. Let's stay here forever. I'll create some shelters and we'll just hang out here. And he's like, that's not my mission. That's not my purpose. That's not what I've called you to. But if we're not careful, we get caught up in those moments and we want to stay in that presence moment forever. And it is awesome. And it makes us feel good. And it should convict us. But can I tell you, you can't stay in revival forever. It was never designed to stay that way forever. We can't handle it forever. We have to get on with life because we have a mission that God is going to reveal very soon in the Scriptures, and He's revealed it to us, but somehow we get off track. And so He's saying, I want you to log this away. Don't forget this, but I don't want you to go blabbing about it. You'll know when the time comes that you need this. And he told them when? You don't need to worry about this until after I come back from the dead. Now let's transition a little bit. We're going to go to the end of the story that we shared last week. Last week we talked about Jesus was crucified, died three days, raised from the dead, and came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave, right? That's what we celebrate. That's what Easter is all about. It's Resurrection Sunday. He made good on what he said he was going to do, right? 
So here's just the moments after this. Matthew chapter 28. Here we go, verses 16 through 20. We sometimes forget this. We love to celebrate the, the resurrection and the victory, but he also shares this. Look what he says. Now he takes all of his disciples where? Going up to the mountain. Sound familiar? Where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Now remember, this is Jesus back after the resurrection. He is alive and well, but he's no longer fully human because he's never going to experience death again. It's funny, he's standing right there before him, and it says, and some of them doubted. <laughs> I mean, they're seeing with their own eyes, right? They actually see him. They're actually doing what he told them to do. You go to the mountains and meet me, but they still are doubting. And he doesn't complain about that, just like maybe you, like Melissa was saying today. Maybe you can't fully buy into everything. Did you know that Jesus is okay with your doubts? He doesn't get discouraged by that, neither should you. We all have doubts about some of the things that he says or does, or the way that he does them, or the way he wants us to do things. But even those closest to him were still in doubt. Verse 18. Jesus comes and he tells his disciples, look at this. I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I now rule the universe. Death doesn't have any sway over me. Sin has no sway over me. The law can no longer hold me. No human being's efforts or the efforts of men will ever be able to hold me down again. I have been given all authority. Everything that has ever been created is now under my control. But they still don't get it. So he says, now that you know this, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. And that was probably freaky to them. These are Jewish boys, some of them fishermen, not professional preachers, teachers. We've got tax collectors. We've got zealots, guys that feel ill-equipped. And yet he's saying, I want you to go to the nations. I don't speak those languages. I don't know how to tell people that. I don't know how to do Bible studies. All I've been doing is following you for three years, and now you say I'm supposed to go out and teach people in foreign lands and foreign nations? Yep. Notice what he asked him to do. I want you to do what you saw me doing. What are we supposed to do? I want you to baptize them. Had they ever seen baptisms before? Certainly. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, here's the part that we sometimes forget. It wasn't long after this that Jesus was with his guys, and all of a sudden he began to levitate off the earth, and he disappeared into the clouds. And I'm sure some of them thought, you said you would always be with us. But he tells us in John, unless I go away, 
I can't send the helper. And the helper is me. And the helper is God. But the helper is the Holy Spirit. I won't leave you alone. But I've got some other work that I've got to do. But you can trust him like you trust me. You just won't see him. And that's the purpose of those experiences. You go where you don't see me anymore. You're transitioning from the natural following to the spiritual following. I go where I see you leading us. We've got to ask ourselves a couple questions here before we, before we go. How do you feel about the Holy Spirit leading you? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you? And this is very important, and I want you to, if you haven't heard anything else, I just ask you to focus in on this part. One of the problems of our modern-day church, not just this church, the church at large, is not being led by the Holy Spirit. It's not that they don't believe, but it requires something different, just like camping. You see, camping requires preparation. Camping requires something of me. I must go and prepare a place. And Paul himself says in the New Testament, he said he was actually a tent maker. <laughs> and he says, you know what? We're just tents. And someday this tent will go away and the Spirit remains. But everything that we're experiencing here is temporary. Every, every best, the best church service you could ever remember was temporary. To be replaced someday with the full presence of Jesus Christ and God. To prepare us for something better. And that's the problem with our life here is that it is temporary. But some of us are trying to set up these tents to be permanent. And we begin to question, is this all there is, God? I mean, why is all this stuff going on? Why is my life a mess? You weren't designed to live here. This is just tent living. We're just camping here until Jesus comes to get us. He doesn't want permanent. He wants to be able to say, I want to move you over here. My presence is just as strong over here. But you don't understand. I was here for years. But I'm not there anymore. I'm over here. What do you want? You want to be permanent or do you want to go where my presence is? That's a hard thing. I have to pack up and move again and take down the camp and get everything out and then put it back up again. And, and then just about the time we get comfortable, how about here? What's the difference, God? Why don't I just stay in the middle? Then I don't have to walk so far. Because it's not about the distance, it's about the obedience. And that's what's lacking. You know why the modern church is having a hard time? They're trying to do the work of the Spirit in the natural. They're trying to stay good people. They're trying to fight social injustice. They're trying to be good Christians in the natural, just depending on the Word. And I'm telling you, it's impossible. The only way to be a satisfied, full Christian in today's world is to be full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, that His power in you allows you to do what your flesh cannot do of itself.
But some of us, oh, that spiritual stuff. I heard my folks talk about it. I saw my grandfolks go through that. We've had that stuff in the church. And you can't do without it. And I'm not talking about the experience. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. You cut him off, you cut off a piece of God. You cut off the power that is infused in you to be the person you're supposed to be. And it's hard because it rubs against our nature, it rubs against our logic, it rubs against our human senses. It convicts us and prods at us and says, you know what, this isn't good enough. I don't want you to camp here, I want you to follow him. Point to Jesus, listen to him. Now, for those of you who don't do enough study, here's the reality. This book of Matthew is written about 60 years, almost 70 years after the death of Jesus Christ. You know how that happened? The Holy Spirit reminded them of all their travels, of all their journeys. And that's the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does. It makes you remember stuff you didn't know you knew. I've said stuff I didn't know that I knew. How about you? I've remembered stuff I didn't know I remembered in the first place. It helps us to know stuff I didn't know I knowed. That's the power of the whole, but you can't do that in the logic. You can't do that in our human brains. But you can in the spirit. And it's not for some, woo, experience. It's for the power of God to show up because we listen to Jesus and we follow him. How different might that have been if those guys had said, we're not leaving, we're waiting for Moses and Elijah to show up again. And some of us struggle with that. We keep trying to go back. Can I tell you, there's no going back. If we put the effort into seeking God for the future, seeking God for what He has for us tomorrow, our lives will be much better filled than trying to go back and trying to recreate Something that we ever had. The world is a different place. You're a different you. God hasn't changed. And I want the presence of God. But not so we can have a series of exciting church services. I want the presence of God that changes lives. I want the presence of God that makes people walk in the Spirit in the way it was designed to be walked in. I want the presence of God that brings us together, that we remember what our goal is, and that is Jesus Christ, and that we learn to listen to Him, and we learn to live like Him. And when we do that, then we understand the fullness. He was talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, bringing in the harvest, and then he couples it with Matthew 28, which is about bringing in the harvest. You remember when we went up on the mountain and it was the Feast of Tabernacles? Oh, man, it was awesome. It was just a foreshadowing of you getting the commission to go out and bring in the harvest. But it's not corn and wheat this time. It's people. But we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say. I have been given all authority. Just do what I tell you to do. I'm not asking you to do what you can't do. I'm not asking you to go where you can't go. I'm just asking you to go where I've sent you to go, and I want you to do what I've told you to do. Listen to Jesus. 
And this may sound stern this morning, but I'm just telling you, this is one of those hang-up places for me, especially when I was a new Christian. I get it because people are people. I, I see that now in my maturity. But listen, there are so many people that I ask them why they're doing stuff, and they say, because that's what the Bible says. Well, that's what the Bible says. Well, that's what the Bible says. And then I ask them about making disciples, and they're like, that's not for me. And I was like, I thought that's what the Bible said. Yeah, but I don't want to do that. And I'm not trying to guilt you at all. I'm just saying that if we really get a hold of this, we'll experience God. God shows up in the midst of this. God shows up when the harvest is here, just like he did here. And again, we're not trying to bring back Moses and Elijah. We don't need that. We already know that he has resurrected. We already know he's already conquered. But we, as the church at large, not just our church, but many churches are struggling over this one set of rules. This one thing that he said, I want you to, to experience this after my death. And what's hard is, this was an ongoing thing. I want you to keep doing it until I come back. And it's not because you don't love God. And it's not because you don't love the Holy Spirit. But what happened is, we took our temporary lives and we decided we were going to make it stand still. And now discipleship becomes church attendance. And discipleship becomes standing in worship. Discipleship becomes praying over our meals. And you know what he said? You want to you wanna feast with me? You want to see the fullness of me? Then listen to me and go and make disciples to experience what you experienced, and then this will never die. Because if you lead somebody to experience me and they lead somebody to experience me, then this story, this great life-changing story that we're telling will never phase out. But can I tell you, church, we're on the precipice of losing the next generation of church because they're saying, you know, this just doesn't make sense. And, and it's not that I deny the Bible, but, you know, it just doesn't really have any place in my life. But do we know why that is? We haven't allowed the urgency of the Holy Spirit to tell us that this world that we're in is still dying and still going to hell. And in computer terms, hell is the default. Did you know that? Unless there's a change in someone's life, hell is the default. And he says, I don't want that for anybody. I want everybody to experience my presence. I want everybody to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I want everybody to live this life that frees them up and they can have an incredible life until I come back. But if you don't change it, the default setting is not where we want them to be. And it's not about changing their minds. It's about introducing them to Jesus. You see, these guys, those three guys, they saw Jesus in the natural all the time, following him, following him, following him. But they needed to see who he really was, and that's what he was trying to show them. You want to see what it's going to be like? 
And if I have my imagination and I can hold it up to the Scripture, I'll bet when he's on the mountain in Matthew 28, he looks like he did in Matthew 17. He's now glorified and glowing. And they're like, we saw you die. We saw you bloody. We're having a hard time believing this. And he showed up the same way he showed up the first time. Guess how he's coming back, church? Glorified, his face shining like the sun, his robes white, coming in glory, coming in victory. And there'll even be some in that day that say, I don't believe that. And it's for us to point to them and say, this is what we've been saying the whole time. We've got to listen to him. We've got to point people in his direction. We've got to get back to keeping the main thing the main thing. And yes, we want his presence. We're going to be hungry for it and desire it. But his presence is to do something for us. And we're going to talk about that right here. First of all, it's to prepare us. It's there to point out sin. Notice when God spoke, these guys didn't go, woohoo! They fell on their faces. God's presence for some of these times is to point out our sin and immaturity. This is what we call sanctification. He's like, hey, this is awesome, but in the light of my glory, do you realize how messed up this is? Do you realize you're lacking here? Not to hurt us, but to help us. It's also to help develop our hearing. (laughs) Because there will be times He's not present. There will be times where you don't feel like Jesus is that close anymore. And you've got to just go by what you know, by the love that He says that He's given us. It's also to renew us and refresh us and refocus us. We get tired. We get weary of the walk. And He says, hey, come up to me. Take some break time. Remember, they were so excited. This is a good thing. But He also said, we've got to get down. We've got work to do. I've got places to go. I've got people to see. But the purpose of His presence is not for us to stay and play. And unfortunately, we get stuck in that. This is awesome. Let's do that again. Sing those same songs we sang last week that, where it felt like the Spirit moved and preach that same message that you preached and, and all just wear the same clothes. When we start sounding like a bunch of superstitious football players. <laughs> we won the last three games because I didn't wash my jersey. I'm not washing it again. <laughs> well, that's great, but you stink. <laughs> and that's not what helped you win the game. Not only to prepare us, but secondly, to propel us. You see, we have to be prepared first. We need those times where we trust God, we hear Him, we know who He is in a different way so that we will listen for what He's saying. And He propels us back out into real life with clarity. You can't stay at church forever. You've got a job. You've got a family. You've got Monday waiting for you. And it can either be, oh, man, it's Monday, or it's another week. And God's leading me through it. It's also to propel us back into the harvest with urgency. The church at large has lost the urgency of the gospel. We're just waiting. Okay, we'll wait. And that's not exciting. (laughs) There should be an urgency. There's people that need to hear what Jesus has to say. There's people that need to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There are people that need the life-saving truth of His Bible. But there has to be some urgency. Think about a joke I heard of a father that had just 
spent hours unpacking their camp because everybody loves to camp, especially kids, but everybody hates to set up and pack up. Just about the time he had just finished unrolling the last sleeping bag, a, a van pulls in. This family hops out, three kids. They begin pulling stuff frantically out of the van. They're getting it set up. They're getting it going this way, this way, this way. And the, the dad that had just finished hours was in awe. He said, I'm pretty amazed at, your, at the discipline of your kids and the speed at which you're setting up your camp. What's the secret? He says, oh, there's no secret. We live about three hours away, and I tell them that nobody gets to go to the bathroom until the camp is set up. <laughs> Needless to say, there would be some urgency. <laughs> Church, are you urgent? You know that there's family and friends that don't know, don't know Jesus Christ. And we can either choose to ignore and just hope that somehow it happens. We find the urgency to say, Lord, I'm going to redouble my prayer. I'm going to redouble the making sure I know the word, that listening to Jesus for those times. He's trying to propel us forward so that we don't just sit and soak and sour in our seats. You see, it would change everything if you were listening instead of, man, that was a good service, to I need to get a hold of this so I can share this with somebody else. You'd listen differently. <laughs> somebody needs to hear that, that nugget of truth. Somebody needs to hear that powerful scripture. But if you don't listen to be able to share it with somebody else, you're just listening for you, it'll be gone by the time you're at lunch. And then pretty soon it's like, you know, we kind of heard this before. Yeah, Every time pastor, something about discipleship, and he's always talking about sharing with others, and can't he just move on? And we begin to sour. <laughs> that water in your washcloth was great, except for when you let it sit on the sink for a month. What changed? Time. And what was good at first begins to stink. And lastly, he propels us out into the world to make disciples. That's our, that's our purpose, church. That's our vision. That's our mission. And it's not the only thing we do. This is done in relationship. We don't just say, who cares about you? I've got disciples to make. That's the wrong version of discipleship. Nor is it some class. It's about seeing other people, creating relationship. So that just like Jesus did, hey, let's get two or three together. I want to show you something. I want you to see Jesus as he really is. Not the argument, not the debate, not the religious figure, the Jesus that changed my life, the Jesus that transformed me. The Jesus that I now carry that gives me a sense of urgency that I'm, I'm worried for you. I care about you. I care about a lost and hurting world, even right here in our own city. And we're not huge, and we're not some metropolis, but I'll tell you what, you're not telling me there's not crime and hopelessness and domestic abuse everywhere. That God's plan to eradicate that is you and me. <laughs> not a government program, not more police, not more money spent, but people spend their lives changing people's lives one person at a time, just one at a time. Don't go out to try to change the city. Just change one. <laughs> Just change the one. But it takes a sense 
of urgency.